0: Healthcare is rapidly changing. Innovative technologies and new treatment paradigms are changing the way we tackle the world's pervasive health issues. I'm Alex Godin with Oxner Health in New Orleans, Louisiana. Join me as we go inside Louisiana's largest healthcare system, where we discuss new ideas in confronting these healthcare challenges. We talk to thought leaders and healthcare experts to explore the latest innovations in patient care. Welcome to Innovation Health. If you're a parent, the unique challenges of caring for children during this time of uncertainty can leave you stressed and worried. Children have needs that must be met for proper development and health, but meeting those needs under these circumstances are challenging to say the least. Is it safe to return to school, daycare, or to have play dates? What about the inflammatory disease that we're hearing about now? How susceptible to COVID-19 are children? In this two-part episode, I talk with Dr. William Linares, System Chair of Pediatrics for Ochsner Health. Dr. Linares has been leading the care for pediatric patients at Louisiana's largest healthcare provider, and has been helping shape Oxner's response to COVID-19 in children. He's also been a valuable resource for the community, as schools and organizations looking for guidance during the pandemic, consult with him on how to best return to operations. Thank you so much Dr. Linars, for joining us today. I think one of the burning kind of questions on people's mind right now, we're in summer but school will be here before you know it, daycares are kind of starting to open back up. What are you recommending for parents right now? Is it safe to go back to school, to go back to daycare, to have playdates?
1: So I think that schools, daycare, and play dates are three slightly different things. I'll start with schools. So yes. Oxner Hospital for Children has engaged in a collaboration with school systems and schools, both independent, archdiocese, and uh, parish school systems in Orleans, Jefferson, and St. Tammany Parish, and we're really working with them to help them reopen in August in the safest possible way that they can. And the solutions are really look different in different schools. If you have, you know, a small private elementary school with uh, 90 children, the solutions are a lot different than, for example, Jefferson Parish Schools, which is the largest school system in Louisiana. But we're really working, starting with parent education around the family's kind of new responsibility to make sure they they screen their children for temperature and symptoms and don't ever send them to school. School buses are a real sticky point because you know there's obviously groupings of children for extended periods. Yeah, of time, I didn't even think about that. And they're touching seats and that kind of mm-hmm. thing. So some schools have done things like add buses or stagger bus trips. Some have asked parents to, uh, as many as possible, to volunteer to bring their kids privately in private vehicles, schools, that kind of thing. The school bus drivers or staff on the buses also probably need to be the first line of screening of temperature and symptoms because for a child to be picked up from their bus stop and arrive at school and then find out that they have a fever so they have to be isolated until they're removed from school is not going to be a very satisfactory process. So ideally, part of our work with the schools is to keep a child with a fever or COVID symptoms from ever really crossing the threshold into the school. And then there's lots of work around spacing and cohorting. When um, information about schools and generally about mitigating COVID first came out, you will remember hearing lots and lots about distance. There has to yep. be this magic distance and group size. So there was one important piece of information missing that's that's really emerged, and we've tried to focus on as well, which is cohorting. So. If a small group of kids is together every day and it's the same group of children and they're screened at home and before they enter the school, that's probably a safer situation than having, say, the screening not happening or, um, um, you know, entry in mass and then having dozens and dozens or more than that, hundreds of kids um, even sort of tending or trying to stay six feet apart, which we all know isn't going to happen at all developmental levels. So um, we really talk about distance and group size and cohorting, same group of kids together, same teacher. Uh, no longer would people rotate from a homeroom to another classroom to another classroom because it's not just the people contact. Remember, if, uh, if a child had early COVID and had their hands on the desk and then a new class comes in to that desk and it hasn't been perfectly cleaned, then that's a risk. So those are, those are some of the kind of things that we're working on with schools, cohorting and as well as spacing and group size.
0: So are you and your team actually going into the schools? Are you having regular meetings? I think this is such a a fantastic thing to help prepare for the fall.
1: Our program is really multi, multi multi-part. We have, I believe we're now going into our fifth webinar which is um, open to school leadership. Okay, so it's typically school administrators and school health people like nurses. Um, And we've had up to 100 and some people participating in these covering different areas of COVID. And then in addition, we are doing walkthroughs or site visits to schools to talk particularly about their uh, individual challenges as far as entry points into their school, how kids arrive, playground equipment. One great example is one of the private schools has kind of a water feature plaything, which continuously sprays water. So that is actually totally great with COVID, but very similar and not okay at all are those water tables that just get filled with water Mm -hmm. that young toddlers can play with. So there's very subtle differences and we look at their seating materials their desk configurations that type of thing and then the the third component of our program for the schools that want to opt in and work more closely with us involves us having a pediatric school health team of physicians who are on call to them to their leadership during the ramp up to opening and during opening and after opening to address concern about a sick child who does show up at school or policies that come up, questions that come up, that type of thing. We also have a group of um, child psychologists who are intensely focusing on developing curriculums for the stress that we all know has developed. We are We are fully expecting a PTSD type scenario after this uh, initial wave of the pandemic that in some ways won't look that much different than Katrina. I mean, P- Kids have lost their social structure. They have lost their um, education for a really big gap. They've lost a big normal structured part of their life. Sometimes in this pandemic, just like Katrina, family members will have died and the child obviously wouldn't have school uh, folks to support them during that. So our psychologists are working on a whole curriculum for the schools and also have had um, a series of webinars focusing on special needs children and how they are impacted by and um, you know, can be uh, assimilated back in schools. Uh, you know, during during Mm -hmm. COVID and as safely as possible.
0: And that's such a huge piece. I know kind of the effect and the impact of just being stuck inside all day, that isolation for the parents listening. Do you have any resources or recommendations you can make for right now that could help them help their children through this or help provide some level of support there?
1: There are resources for parents on the CDC website, and then, again, the schools that we're working with will have parent training as part of our uh, collaboration with the schools on how to manage the home-school dichotomy during during COVID. Those will be essentially webinar, electronic, Zoom-type formats that the schools will convene for parents and we will kind of be the expert uh, leaders and, and, and question takers during those to try to help parents feel more comfortable as they navigate the, the school reentry.
0: I've had a few friends um, who have been wondering if they have children who are younger, not necessary, not necessarily have to go to school, they're younger than pre-K, should they still be sending them to daycare or is it better to play it safe, quote unquote, and keep them home? for a very young child?
1: First of all, very young children are the lowest risk age group, except for literally neonates. So children in the first 28 days of life or children who are born prematurely. And while we're talking about this, I will mention there are still some high risk situations for children. So children with immune deficiency, Mm -hmm. children who are on some kind of immune suppressant due to... Oh, a cancer or inflammatory bowel disease, that kind of thing, and children with certain congenital heart disease should be considered at higher risk. And in our opinion, these are the kids in whom the you know, the, the balance of risk and benefit of going to school may weigh in favor of not going to school. So, going back to your Hi. question about you know, about uh, infants and toddlers going to daycare, I would ask a lot about how the daycares are operated and what COVID mitigation steps they have taken. And most importantly, since that age group, once they become mobile, you know, so crawlers to toddlers and nine months and above, It is really virtually impossible to do social distancing with that age group. So the approach that we've seen that's best is involve very small groups of six to eight to less than 10 kids who are with the same teacher every day, and the parents are really bought into testing and screening and making sure no one's sick.
0: And that's that same cohort mentality you were mentioning earlier, correct? It's the cohort
1: mentality. And in that scenario, it's almost like considering their school ho- cohort to be an extension of your family. Um, you have to trust the, the daycare and understand that they're really taking these uh, you know, tactics to the, you know, the, the furthest point they can to reduce the number of interactions that the child comes uh, uh, into contact with.
0: So we talked about schools, daycares. What about just playdates, casually at, at a friend's house, just going over? Is that okay?
1: So the answer is the same one as child care, really. You, you've got to be... There, it is obviously higher risk, but it's all, there is also a risk to your child not getting any socialization at all, if you think about the importance of toddlers learn, learning to play with each other. So what I would counsel is to um, identify a a really trusted family or two um, and not if your usual play date involved 10 families, I wouldn't do that. I would have a small group and really have a understanding within the families that no one will be mixing. At higher, you know, not using mitigation techniques outside of that group, and that no one will come to the play date if anyone at home has been sick.
0: Right. Um, It really goes back to kind of taking on that responsibility of testing and screening and really being aware of, of your child's health and symptoms. Thinking about masks. You know, we're we're hearing we need to wear masks all the time. It's commonplace. What does that look like for kids? Do they need to have the same mask guidelines? And have you seen that it's hard to get them to wear it or keep it on?
1: First of all, children are, and I think most educators and daycare people would agree, that children are actually more adaptable and more resilient than adults. But, you know, this has to be modeled. And it has to be the norm behavior. You can't expect a household where parents don't wear masks when they go to the grocery store to just throw in a mask the first day of daycare or you know first grade or whatever. Um, the CDC recommendations for schools are that children over the age of two be masked. I think most of us who um, you know are parents and have had young kids would feel like that's, that's a sort of high bar to achieve. But I can tell you that I, I've also seen every day in our clinics, young children, because masking is required to uh, come to an appointment in our clinic if you're over two years old. And I've seen kids of probably three and four years old with masks on with no, um, you know, no challenges at all just Mm -hmm. acting like everything's normal. So one of the important, uh, I think, things that's been emphasized in the UK, for example, is for parents to model proper distancing and proper masking uh, with their children. And I think that we'll find that Children down to a younger age than we expected will do fine with masks. If we'll get to the point where every, age, every child over two is masked at school, I, I can't say. And uh, I, I would be a little skeptical about that. But I think we have to take the CDC recommendation and work toward it. And I don't think it's as challenging as, as people think.
0: If you're a parent who's been stressed and worried about your kids and COVID-19, I hope this two-part episode helped alleviate some of those concerns. If you're concerned about returning to clinics, rest assured that Oxner has taken extraordinary steps to make sure even our littlest patients are safe in all facilities. For more information about children's health care at Oxner, visit ochsner.org slash children. Thanks for joining me today. I'm Alex Godam with Oxner Health. I'll see you next time on Innovation Health.